Alright, this morning we're going to continue to worship. So if you will, Tommy. Uh, yes, Ken. Click on the machine. It was on his. Alright, here we go. Alright, uh, we're going to start today as usual with silent prayer. So, uh, you think about what you need to pray about and give it to the Lord and He'll give you a perfect answer. Because we have the residence of God the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that matter, the Father. So, we have the tripartite, if you will. So, uh, let's use 1 John 1 9 and then, uh, You'll uh, be equipped to present your prayers to the Lord. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of bringing you our prayer requests. Guide us now and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, remember Wayne and Carolyn who are traveling to Fort Worth to be with Ryan on his birthday. Remember uh, Rosabeth who's going to get married the next week and uh, the wedding. And uh, we will have, of course... Uh, Oh, and remember me and my shingles, please. Uh, it's just hanging on, hanging on, hanging on. So, uh, the, um, there's plenty out there to pray for, and we've got a list over here to my left. Feel free to get one and use it as the case may be. All right, now with reference to announcements, we will try to have the 6.30 prayer meeting on Wednesday and 7 o'clock Bible study. Again, in the book of John, and uh, that will be uh, at your pleasure. Uh, let's see, uh, Kenneth, how about a song? Hymn number 482, let's stand and sing all three verses.
Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you, Tommy. And thank you all for that fine singing. And we certainly look to that day when that role is called. All right, now with reference to uh, another aspect of worship, which is called giving. I'm not going to put the chart on the board. I think you're all aware of the fact that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, it tells us all about New Testament giving. And we do have a doctrine of of giving on the internet. And uh, you can certainly uh, go to Pastor Mary's study books, westbankbiblechurch.com and take a look at it uh, and uh, learn all about giving. And then Colonel R.B. Thame has done a great uh, work and has a book out on giving. So plenty of information out there as to what the New Testament teaches. But basically, it says in the privacy of your mind, when we have a moment of silent prayer, which we will, uh, Lord willing, and uh, you can uh, you can uh, exercise your prerogative and give, even if you don't have anything to give, because you want to. So you want to, that's important. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And uh, so you can uh, also exercise your prerogative if you have been provided something to give, but only if you can do it cheerfully. So that's, in essence, uh, what the Bible says about giving. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. You perform as appropriate, Tommy, if you will. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to come together and give. Now, I would ask a very special blessing upon both the gift and the giver, and that you would guide us throughout the rest of this service. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now then, uh, we're going to have a special piece of music. Emily's going to sing for us. She's going back to Pensacola on Thursday, so we're going to miss her. But uh, she's going to sing a song written by John Walford. He was the uh, second president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, he actually was president for 50 years, as I recall. And he wrote many, many books and was just an outstanding theologian, but also a talented musician, if you will. So the name of the song is... Uh, when God became a man. So Emily, if you would come please and bless us with a song.
Thank you, Amy. All right, now for our message. Uh, last week I completed a study of Paul's trip to Rome. And when the clock told 11.30, I was about to present several reasons why we believe there were two imprisonments as opposed to one. And of course, the reason why it's a puzzle to many and why it has to be studied uh, is that the 28th chapter of the book of Acts just stops. And then the next thing we have to go through all the, you know, like Romans, etc., etc., until we get over to, to uh, Titus, and then we can pick up with the rest of the story uh, with a couple of several verses in First and Second Timothy. So you have to be kind of like a detective as you teach this, and uh, I will address that at this particular point in time. Now I have turned on the chart for Paul's journey to Rome. You also can see it in your lesson plan, uh, and we'll be doing some review. But uh, let's use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word. Now guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to review some of that, learn and begin new material on page 2. Uh, Paul, as you know, is placed in a Caesarean prison. Uh, when you count the time in Jerusalem and you count the time in the Caesarean prison, that's three years. Then he made his trip to Rome. And uh, he would be in Rome for, let's say, another three years. And uh, that would be the six years he's in prison. And the whole reason for it is that he was out of line and had gotten under the Mosaic Law again. And so God was, uh, in essence, disciplining him, but also giving him opportunity to write the four prison epistles. So uh, that's uh, all for our benefit. Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians. Wonderful New Testament books. So uh, it's, uh, I guess his discipline is our, our joy, if you will. All right, uh, what did we study? Well, we studied the voyage to Rome. We studied about uh, Caesarea to Crete. We studied the storm. We studied the leadership of Paul. We actually studied two visions of Paul. One saying everything was going to be okay. And then uh, another along those same lines. But we also studied about the beach being sighted. We studied about what happened on the island of Melita, which is now called Malta. We studied about his arrival at Rome and how he was welcomed by many people there and placed under house arrest. And then we also looked at how Paul preaches in Rome. So in Rome at this particular point in time, there had been an organized uh, uh, Christianity uh, or was was, uh, probably, as best we can tell, under Peter and maybe also Mark, but there was some reluctance on the part of people because Rome did not like Christianity. Uh, Claudius, for example, chased all the Jews out of uh, and Christians out of uh, Rome at one time, and we know what Nero did: burned the city and blamed it on on the Christians. So it wasn't as hospitable place, hospitable as a place, if you will, uh, as uh, some have taught. I know we've had some teachers that said, you know, Rome was the best government that ever lived. You know, yeah, they killed Christians right and left, burned them on the cross, put them in the in the uh, Colosseum, you know, played war games with them, etc. Let lions eat them. It wasn't exactly a pleasant place, and they did have an abundance of slavery. They would go and conquer a province, and everybody they brought back would be a slave. It's been estimated that two-thirds to four-fifths of all the people in the Roman Empire, counting all the provinces, were slaves uh, during the, the time that the Bible was written. But uh, that's a difficult number to to actually come up with and have a lot of 
credence in, but nonetheless a lot of slaves. And we have a doctrine of slavery, by the way, on the internet that you certainly can take a look at if you so choose. Uh, but his first witness was to the chief of the Jews. He invited them all to his villa. Because when he got there, he was placed in a villa with the Praetorian Guard to guard him and stay with him. And apparently there was a really nice relationship uh, between Paul and his his Praetorian, if you will. And we're going to study a little bit about the Praetorian Guard as we continue on. But uh, he would walk the streets with the Praetorian Guard. And you can imagine the, uh, how people would look and see Paul. And they knew who he was. They knew he was this super Christian. And here he was walking around with this Praetorian. And they were very friendly. And uh, he gave people a lot of, uh, uh, if you will, courage to to witness. And uh, Bible teachers teach the Bible in Rome. So it was all working to God's benefit, just as is all things, of course. All right, so he first uh, called the chief of the Jews in, and he witnessed them. Some of them believed, and some of them did not believe. And we studied that in Acts chapter 28, verse 24. And I'll read, And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. So Paul remains under house arrest for approximately two more years. He continues to witness to both Jew and Gentile. So that's a six-year period of time that he was in some form of prison, either in Jerusalem, Caesarea, or uh, Rome. Now, in Rome, of course, I mentioned he wrote Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. He is released from prison for some one to two years, during which time he travels to Greece, Crete, and Dalmatia, which is what we call Yugoslavia, or did call it at one time, uh, when Tito was in charge in, in the big war. And uh, later, of course, it's been divided up into several countries uh, due to the fact that we have uh, Eastern Catholics, we have Roman Catholics, and we have Muslims. And they just don't get along. So we even sent troops over there under Clinton, you remember, with the little blue hats on. And uh, they... Uh, we're over there to keep the peace. All right, now Paul wrote the book of Titus during this period, and sometime after the writing of this book, he will again be incarcerated by Nero in Rome, where he will uh, be ultimately executed. There are those who believe Paul endured two Roman imprisonments and those who believe in just one imprisonment. Our position recognizes two imprisonments with an approximate year of liberty between the two. Reasons why we believe in two imprisonments. And these we covered last week. First of all, the leaving of Trophimus sick at Miletus. 2 Timothy 4.20. And uh, I'm going to uh, put uh, Paul's third journey on the board. Just to refresh your memory. Remember there was the first journey, there was a the second journey, and then there was this this third journey. But you can see how he got back to Jerusalem and he got in trouble there. And that's where the imprisonment started. Alright, uh, now then Erastus in 2 Timothy 4.20 abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have a left at Miletum sick. And in our doctrine of healing, we talk about this, how Paul, how healing as a gift, a whip gift, tend to uh, fall off. In other words, there wasn't much activity in healing as we see the scripture unfold. Uh, because why wouldn't he just heal uh, Trophimus? But this was in the latter part of his ministry. So uh, once the scripture began to be written and once the scripture was disseminated, there was no need for the whip gifts. Those uh, gifts, which included, of course, tongues and other things, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits, healing, etc. All right, so this could not have occurred, that is to say, the Trophimus situation on Paul's journey to Jerusalem, for then Trophimus was not left. If you read Acts 20, verse 4, and 21, verse 29, I'll read those. First look at Acts 20, verse 4. And they accompanied him into Asia, so Peter of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, Timothy, 
and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. In verse 29, for they had been before with him in the city, Trophimus and Ephesian, when they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple, which he didn't. But nonetheless, he was accused. Nor could it have been on his journey to Rome to appear before Caesar, for then he had not landed at Miletus. Alright, so to make this instant possible, there must have been a release from the first imprisonment and a second interval of ministry and travel. So only the, the only further information in the New Testament comes from the pastoral epistles. This epistle trail indicates that Paul was released for approximately one year. First uh, Timothy 4, 16 and 17. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid on their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. But we know he was not delivered out of the life of the lion in that second imprisonment. So all of this indicates, of course, that he... I'm going to turn this off now. That he uh, participated in two separate uh, imprisonments, and in between a year and a half to two years, perhaps, uh, he did some traveling. All right, then let's go ahead and look at a record of Paul's travels in the epistles, which will also help us. But uh, we have a great deal of authority that indicates it's two imprisonments with an interim. First imprisonment again, Caesarea, uh, and then of course Rome, and then he's released, and then he gets into an uh, uh, an imprisonment in Rome where he will be executed, and that we shall see more later. All right, a record of Paul's travels then in the epistles. First of all, Titus one five, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordained elders in every city as I have appointed thee. All right, uh, again, you know where Crete is. Crete is right there. Uh, and uh, you can see he... Uh, somebody got my, my laser so you don't get... No, here it is. You do get a laser show. But certainly Crete is right here. And uh, that's uh, the island where... Titus is left, and I'm sure if you, when we get to studying the book of Titus, which we're going to hit a few points there, you're going to see there were some bad actors in, in on the island. They were quite infamous, if you will, for some of the things that they did. Uh, they have found pictures where the first uh, picture record in antiquity of the bulls running through the streets chasing people was uh, found in Crete. And so that's perhaps where it started. You know, who knows for sure, but uh, there's uh, some drawings on the walls that show a a bull throwing a man up in the air uh, in the streets in a crowd. So uh, there were some characters there. And then, of course, in the book of of, uh, Titus, you're going to find Paul warns him that they... Uh, these people need to, you really need to be strong. You really need to make sure that, uh, uh, they're listening and they're attending because they're not the most hospitable or the wisest of people. So I'm sure the, the Cretans, not Croutons, the Cretans, uh, uh, probably don't appreciate that. Alright, uh, so he said, for this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders, that would be pastor teachers, in every city, as I had appointed thee. So Titus is left to do several things, one of which is to get me some pastor teachers, get them ordained, and get them trained. Alright, uh, and during this, that's one of the places that he went, and then he also went to Nicopolis, and uh, you can see I have a chart there on the, on the board, I don't have it on the board, but I have a, certainly in your lesson plan, you can see Nicopolis right out there in the uh, land called Epirus. And you can see down here, of course, Achaia, and then you have Macedonia, but Nicopolis. So he went up there into Greece and visited there, uh, we know. 
All right, uh, Titus 3.12, Then I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined to winter there. So that's where he's going to be rearrested, by the way. So if he got rearrested, he was released. And uh, that we know. So uh, he uh, told him, he said he was going to send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, and be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis with reference to what Titus is to do. Not only is he do certain things, but he's also to come visit Paul and bring certain things to him. All right, he also went uh, to Troy in Greece, Troas it is, as it is also called. Uh, he says in verse 13, we looked at Titus 3.12, now we're in 2 Timothy 4.13. It says, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. So he also wants Timothy to come by and to see him uh, at Troas, which is, of course, where you travel from, uh, actually, was now Turkey, across the Hellespoint over into Europe, into Macedonia. So there are going to be some events there that help us understand what was done uh, in the life of Paul because we're studying the doctrine of Paul. This is Paul part, what, 10 uh, in our lesson plan today. So Paul traveled to Miletus and Corinth and then was arrested a second time at Nicopolis and returned to Rome where he is executed. Second Timothy 4, 6, 7, and 8, he speaks of being ready to be offered. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. And then in verse 18 of Second Timothy 4, again, Reading verse 18 and 20. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says in verse 20 as we drop down, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Alright, and that we saw earlier. All these documenting the fact that there's definitely a, two different imprisonments and uh, some all the what I consider all the great expositors believe that, you know, including you know, Walvard and uh, very beautiful song, I mean, Walvard, John Walvard, and of course uh, also uh, Colonel R. B. Theme, Charles Ryrie, Dwight Pentecost, etc. All right, now verse uh, Twenty, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum. All right, now tradition, that is to say what people wrote in the early church about history, church history, places Paul's death along the Ostian Way outside the city of Rome in circa A.D. 68. Again, confirmation of the two visits. And if you look at the very southerly part, if you will, of your chart there on Rome in your lesson plan, you can see the Ostian Gate, and you can see the Ostian Way. So somewhere on that particular road, supposedly, would be where he was beheaded. That's what tradition tells us, church history. So we have little scripture uh, concerning his death at the hand of Nero. What we do know of his last days come uh, primarily from, again, what the church historians wrote. Uh, but we are given a choice of, that is Paul was given a choice of committing suicide by slicing his wrist in a warm tub of water or decapitation, which would have been the uh, customary way for a Roman citizen. He would not be decapitated. He would be, uh, of course, his wrist would be slit. He would get in a warm bathtub and bleed to death. But Paul elected, supposedly, according to tradition now, uh, to have be decapitated. Alright, we are told he selected the latter. Now as to his trial, we know nothing except his own record 
in 2 Timothy 4.16. He says, At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it might not be laid to their charge. Okay, now for a detailed doctrine, see the doctrine of the Praetorian Guard. And that, of course, is on the Internet. And uh, we will summarize it here, if you will. First of all, the Guard was established in 212 B.C. by Scipio Africanus. Uh, it was a crack bodyguard originally for himself. And then the Guard, it actually grew to 10,000. And they were originally located in units of 1,000 each in various major cities in central Italy. Uh, they served as an internal police force providing protection for Rome and her surrounding city-states. So they were a crack troop, you know, like uh, recon marines or, or uh, uh, other crack units, specially trained. And uh, the head of the guard became known as the prefect. And his power was great, as you might imagine, especially when they were all eventually brought into Rome, which we uh, know did happen under the reign of Tiberius. Uh, of course, you have a doctrine of the Roman biblical Caesars. It is on the Internet. You can look at all the various Caesars and how they related to the Bible and when they, of course, ruled. But um, after Augustus, we had Tiberius. And he, he uh, authorized a man by the name of Sejanus, uh, and, and he moved all 10,000 guards to Rome. And their power grew, and when Tiberius lost interest in being emperor, he actually wanted to go to the island of Capri and play, which he did. And uh, Sejanus took charge of the affairs of the empire. Now, from that point on, all Caesars were determined by the Praetorian Guard. Michael Grant wrote an excellent book on that, The Twelve Caesars, and also another book entitled The Biblical Caesars. Uh, and uh, he did an excellent job of outlining and uh, translating. All right, the Senate became a captive of the very protectors. Sejanus later became too indiscreet in his lust for power. So Tiberius had him assassinated. There was a great deal of intrigue involved in all that. Tiberius remained on the island showing very little interest in the matters of state. And then at the death of Tiberius, a new prefect, Macro, proclaimed Caligula Caesar in AD 37. He's known as Little Boots. He was actually a, a member of the household for many, many years under his dad, who was a great military hero. And uh, turned out to be a real idiot. He's the one that said, uh, oh, he probably was right. Given the set of circumstances today, he said that my horse is smarter than all the senators. So he actually brought his horse into the Senate and uh, tied him up and, and proclaimed the fact that he got one vote just like everybody else, you know. So uh, he was a, a real character. All right, this established a precedent which would continue for some time. Caligula was assassinated in 41 A.D. by the guard. And the unlikely Claudius was placed on the throne. Claudius was very brilliant, but he was also uh, suffered from seizures. And, uh, and there was an excellent uh, presentation of the life of Claudius on PBS, which uh, I got to watch. And uh, the one scene where they came in and told him he was going to be the Caesar, that is the Praetorian Guard, said, we've executed you know, Nero, and because he was anti-Paul, perhaps, that's the theory. And uh, the Praetorian Guard loved Paul. And uh, he was underneath the table in, in the movie, and it was very uh, interesting to see him. He stuttered a lot, but he also was brilliant. He wrote a lot of historical books. He was a great historian. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, uh, in essence, as Caesars go, a good Caesar. All right, after death, probably poisoned by Agrippina, uh, a guy by the name of Burrus took over. Uh, he had been appointed by Nero. The nut Nero would rule from 54 to 68 A.D. Nero in 68 made the fatal error of having Paul executed, which many have conjectured was a prime factor motivating his execution. 
So the power of the Praetorian Guard during the reign of Claudius and Nero had become immense. It was take a large army to undermine the military presence massed in Rome, as you might think. Most of Rome's large armies were in the hinterlands fighting the barbarians. The Praetorian camp was moved to the edge of the city. And you can see that on the map. The guard having been moved to Rome by Tiberius was at first stationed at various points. And the emperor soon decided the unit needed its own fortified campsite. You can see that on the, uh, I guess it would be the eastern side of the city. It was laid out in the same way as if they were in a battle situation. Uh, and it was always the strongest military unit in the city. So Paul then was in essence a missionary to the guard during his Roman imprisonment. He was often in their presence. These select troops were assigned to guard the great apostle. The familiarity with his guards perhaps accounts for Paul's many military metaphors used in the four prison epistles. That is to say Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. So Paul, from all indications, was very popular with his guards. Paul's relationship with the guard in the palace had apparently given others confidence to teach the word. I know when Tommy and I were in Italy and in Rome, we were uh, pleased to get to walk through the city and we kind of imagined that we were with the Praetorian Guard and Paul and the people would come by and say, good morning, Paul. Good morning, sir. You know, and uh, uh, they would uh, be pleased to uh, uh, see him in a favorable setting with the power structure, if you will and therefore be more likely to witness for Jesus. Uh, now let's take a look at Philippians chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 12. Remember now, this is one of the prison epistles. It's written to the church at Philippi in approximately 31 or so A.D. It says, But I would have ye should, I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, that, remember we've just been over those things, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ, in other words, walking around with the soldier, not just a soldier, a praetorian, are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. In other words, wherever he went, he would go, you know, to the city hall, he would go to the courthouse, he would go to Luby's, he would go to wherever he went, you know, and uh, there they'd see him, you know, uh, and the praetorian would be with his swagger stick, you know, and his sword and, People would be, oh, there's Paul, you know, <laughs> and there's his friend, you know, Quintarian, and uh, they would uh, uh, be impressed. So, and many of the brethren of the Lord, in the Lord, Christians, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So you can see we making note of that in his epistle to the church at Philippi. All right, when Praetorian is properly anglicized, the word is Praetorian. However, in most English dictionaries, we find Praetorian. So in Philippians 1.13, the word is translated in the KJV, palace. And in the NIV, palace guard. And in the RV, revised version, Praetorian guard. Let's look at the NIV of 1.13, Philippians 1.13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. All right, Strong has this to say in his Bible dictionary. The word is of foreign origin. Definition, the praetorian or governor's courtroom sometimes included the whole edifice and camp to include the quarters of the guard. The praetorian signified originally a general's praetor's tent. Then it was applied to the council of army officers, then to the official residence of the governor of a province, and finally to the imperial bodyguard. So in the Greek of the New Testament, the word praetorian appears six times, and I shall read. First in Matthew, of all places, twenty-seven, twenty-seven. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, word praetorian, and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And of course, you know, that's with reference to Christ uh, and uh, his trial, etc. Now, verse 16 of Mark, chapter 15. 
And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, literally Praetorion. And they called together the whole band of men. So that it was all brought together as they led our Lord to his crucifixion. And ultimately, of course, a resurrection. John eighteen twenty eight. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And there's our word, Praetorion. And it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, again, Praetorion, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. They didn't need to get around any Gentiles at that particular point in time, nor was it the thing to do under the legalistic system of the Jews. Now, John 18.33, Then Pontius Pilate entered into the judgment hall, Praetorion, again, and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? So you can see how it has many different meanings, but all related to places of authority uh, and in very often uh, speaking of military presence. All right, it was seen those who belonged to Caesar's household in Philippians 4.22 refer to the many believers among the guard and the various civilians working at the palace. Very interesting uh, to see that you had all these folks, many of which worked for the Caesar or worked in the Caesar's uh, uh, palace, were Christians. So the map of Rome on page Rome on page five shows the palace located on Palatine Hill, just northeast of Circus Maximus. It can just as easily be easily be labeled the Praetorium. So in the Gospels, the term denotes <clears throat> the official residence in Jerusalem of the Roman governor. The various trend. Now we're going to again to Jerusalem. We're leaving Rome here uh, and going to talk a little bit about. Uh, what we find in the Gospels. And the various translations are apparently an attempt to indicate the special purpose which that residence was used. Whatever the building the governor occupied was the Praetorium. Alright, and most probable that in Jerusalem he resided in the well-known palace of Herod. Pilate's residence has been identified with the castle of Antonia which was occupied by a regular garrison. Uh, it therefore qualified as a praetorium, as did Herod's palace. And if you look down there on the map, the New Testament Jerusalem, you can see the temple. And if you look at the what would be the top left-hand corner, uh, and an arrow is drawn to Fortress of Antonia. You've heard me mention several times that uh, Fort Antonia, no, Antonium or Antonia, uh, which was also called Mark Anthony Barracks, uh, was a place that had a tower that the soldiers could look down into the temple and see what the Jews were doing. And in fact, they would have to come, uh, according to tradition, uh, to Anthony Barracks, knock on the door, talk to the centurion in charge and say, we need this and we need that because we're going to celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles or the you know, the Feast of Passover, etc. And they would issue them to them, uh, kind of like when you're in the military and you're officer of the day, you go to the air police station and you get your 45 and, you're, and then you're packing, you know, and you're uh, OD. And uh, you have certain authority with you because you're representing the base commander. Uh, and they issue you a forty-five, and it's uh, and bullets, of course, even bullets. Uh, but uh, it's dangerous to give a first lieutenant a forty-five with bullets, you know. But anyway, they would uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, be looking at the Jew and checking on the Jew and what the Jew is doing because he's always a troublemaker. Uh, I shouldn't say always a troublemaker. He has a history of being a troublemaker. And that's why, uh, of course, Rome let them have a Sanhedrin to appease them, let them have a high priest, let them have all the authority to try people under their laws, uh, except for capital punishment. They could not do that. Okay, let's go on. It's, uh, so it's most probable that in Jerusalem, uh, uh, whoever Pilate was at the time of the procurator, would be in the palace of Herod. And again, it is identified closely with 
the fortress of Antonia. Alright, the best way to continue Paul's life is to review the doctrine of Titus uh, by way of the book which carries his name. See, that's how you have to get the history here. You have to jump around a lot. Because again, in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts, whoops, that's it. It's done, you know. And then you don't know, so you have to become a detective. And you have to work your way through the scripture in order to uh, come up with a history of the life of Paul, the latter part of it. All right, let's look at an introduction to Titus. Titus is a common Latin name. And when it came over to us in the Corne Greek, it became Teton or Titas. And you remember the head of the Yugoslavia during World War One, I, I guess in World War Two, also with Tito. And uh, uh, he, of course, that's when Yugoslavia was one big country before it had burned, before it had been broken up, if you will, by the United Nations. All right, Titus was a fellow laborer in the work of the Lord with the Apostle Paul. We find no mention of Titus in the book of Acts. Interesting. No information in the book of Acts. All right, we must therefore develop our biography from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the book of Galatians, the book of Titus, and Paul's second epistle to Timothy. So the journey mentioned in Galatians 2, verses 1 through 3, is more than likely the same as recorded in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. We studied the book of Galatians, and again, it had uh, some, there's some difficulties with it because you have to, again, be a, a good student to come up with the, the uh, events in a sequence. But let's look at verse 1. It says, Then fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also. Now verse 2 and 3, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. So you remember when we studied the book of Galatians, uh, there was a great controversy in the, in the various churches in the province of Galatia, southern Galatia, by the way. Remember, we distinguished that from northern Galatia and southern Galatia. But there were some people who came up from Jerusalem, uh, and we don't know how many, and we don't know their names, but we know that they were false teachers. They came and said, to be saved, you have to keep the law. They said, to be spiritual, you had to keep the law. And all this was presented to uh, the, the Gentiles in, in the, the city of, we'll just call it Galatia, in the province of Galatia. And uh, the people were overwhelmed thinking these guys are with Jerusalem. They're from Jerusalem. You know, that's the, that's the head shed, if you will. And uh, we're uh, uh, going to have to give them serious consideration and so they were very convincing also. They all had Italian suits and uh, had great shoes, you know, they got from Johnson and Murphy. And uh, they were, you know, you know, polished and, and they were presenting quite, uh, uh, actually, they were, I, I would say, convincingly, that uh, you had to be, you know, to get saved, you had to keep the law. Well, it turned out they were so convincing that everybody there was convinced, <laughs> except Paul. And of course, even Barnabas was convinced, and he and Barnabas had a little fuss over that. And uh, finally, uh, Paul told them all, "You look, look, look! This is wrong. Yeah, uh, it's faith alone in Christ alone. You can't keep the law. You think you think you can keep the law? You ain't keeping no law. You know, uh, uh." You're not keeping the law, and you can't keep the law because, you know, the law, just it's just going to take you down. And uh, he said, what we got to do, boys, we've all got to get together here, and we got to go to Jerusalem and find out from James, who ran the churches there in Jerusalem, the Christian churches, where did these idiots get this idea? And did James authorize this? So let's go. So they got a little group together and they all started south. And it tells you in here who some of the people were, as I just read. And they went, uh, as they went along, they began to witness. And notice how the Lord's in all this. As they're walking down, you know, and they go to city to city, they're witnessing for Jesus. 
uh, and when they get to Jerusalem, they have the big meeting. They all meet in a big giant conference uh, room, you know, and they had Kool-Aid and cookies, and and uh, they're all sitting around and going to talk about the matter, you know. And James is there, and uh, let's read about it in Acts chapter 15. So you have to be a detective. You have to go now from Galatians, and you have to go uh, down to Acts chapter 15, a record of the meeting. So here we go. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Sounds familiar in a lot of churches today, doesn't it? Ooh, a bunch of them. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, and you can see that on any map that we've got in our various lesson plans and certainly also on the internet, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. In other words, they got uh, into the meeting and they said, well, let me tell you what happened. We had names given to everybody and addresses. And they went out in the city, you know. And they went down Common Ford Road. And they went down this place and this place. They went to Austin Lake Estates. They went over in Rollingwood, you know, knocked on doors and said, that, you know, uh, any reason now why you hadn't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's in. Do it now, you know. And they were just witnessing up a storm. And people were believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. And uh, I just put a little modernistic thing on there for you. But uh, they uh, they were pleased. They said, Wow. You mean all these Gentiles believed on the Lord Jesus? Dirty Gentiles? They don't even bathe on Saturday. You know, it's, it's just, uh, they're not that kind of people. You know, and they have milk mustaches when they go to school. You know, but the point is, that's awful. You know, uh, I can't believe it. So when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Alright, then in verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Well, the apostles and elders met to consider the question. They went into a separate session, like they do in Congress, you know. We're going to have a separate session here, you know. And uh, they said, there after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Oh boy, here he comes. Here he come now, you know. Oh, Peter. He's, Peter had been swayed the other way. Up there in Galatia, the guys with the fine shoes from Johnson and Murphy had convinced Peter that this is, you know, this is true. And Paul got so angry at him, he stripped him of his epaulette, you know, we would say in the service, he pulled it off of him, you know, and threw it down, you know, and he got his stripes and pulled them off, you know, and said, you can't believe this trash. And he, he was kind of shaking. Peter was in real trouble with Paul. And Barnabas was too. And anybody else who believed otherwise. So let's go on. After much discussion, now Peter's going to flip-flop here. Peter is Mr. Flip-flop. You can all call him flip-flop if you'd like. I'm sure he'd love it today. But he flips from flops and flips and flops until we find he vanishes. And then all of a sudden we see him writing First and Second Peter. He became a man, a Christian man. And he and he may have been before too, don't get me wrong, just the fact that we don't find it. Uh, and I'm not I'm not I'm not here to tell you that I know all about it, you know, because I had a dream or something. But the point being, uh he he does flip around. So he, let's look at a flip here. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips of the message of the gospel and believe. God, and that was when in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, you can read all about that. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. You remember he went to see uh, what was going on and he left Joppa and uh, met uh, up there and he noticed that when he gave them the gospel, they got tongues the whole, when it was appropriate, just as they did the Jews and just as they did other Gentiles. And he says, he made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are, Jews and Gentiles. All right, now the whole assembly became silent 
as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So what can we conclude? Well, we can conclude that Titus was closely associated with Paul at Antioch and that he accompanied Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem and uh, designed to resolve the issue of grace versus legalism. Now at Troy, or it's known as Troas, we find Paul disappointed in not finding Titus there. Titus had been sent to Corinth after Timothy's failure. The timing of this visit and the visit uh, described in 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 17 and 2 Corinthians 7, 15 through 14. Now most expositors have assumed the two were separate visits. So what we're going to see is that Paul's going to get to Troy and he's, uh, of course, ready to cross over into Macedonia. But before that, he has a large group of positive people who want to be taught the Bible. And they are in Troy. And uh, he is so concerned because Titus hasn't come back uh, to uh, let him know how things are going in Corinth. Timothy had already been there. Timothy left and Timothy said, I'll never go back. But Titus went there to check things out. And uh, he returns. And Paul is, has written the people in Corinth, a letter that we don't have. It's mentioned, but it, we don't have it. And it, But we have a description of it, and apparently it was a scathing denunciation of the Corinthians. And Paul was so afraid that he had done something really precipitous and wrong and emotional. And we're going to get into that later because I know it's time to stop now. And uh, the uh, uh, he just wished that Titus had come and been able to tell him everything's okay. Because that's, I, I shouldn't tell you this. That's ultimately what happens. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and invitations and let anyone who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved to do that right now because that's exactly what the Lord would have for you to do. The Lord is, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of Him, a repentance. So the Holy Spirit is saying right now to many, many people, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because you are a sinner. For all that sin that comes short of the Glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to come and worship in this church, to worship in this city, to worship in this county, to worship in... uh, the United States of America. Keep the doors open, Lord. Help us to be faithful, faithful to the promise. And that's our job. And uh, we trust you for all you're going to do for us. Now I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace, and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.